Welcome to the Paper Tiger podcast, where the editors of Lekwomerding High School's student newspaper provide interview-style coverage of local, national, and international news with a focus on issues important to Bay Area youth. I'm Caroline Kreutzen, co-editor of the Paper Tiger Online. And I'm Gabe Castro-Root, co-editor-in-chief. Our guest today is Tiana Day, an 18-year-old Bay Area Black Lives Matter activist, founder of the nonprofit organization Youth Advocates for Change, and a recipient of the 2020 CNN Heroes Young Wonders Award. Tiana, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I want to start last summer. In June, just days after the killing of George Floyd, you organized and led thousands of people in a protest across the Golden Gate Bridge. So what did that organizing look like for you? And why did you decide that that was the right moment to get involved? Yeah, so great, great starter question. Um, I mean, I think the whole point of it, like going super viral on media is because I organized in 18 hours. It wasn't much of an organization. It was kind of like, I just woke up and I was like, God, I have to do something. I like went to a protest a few days before my first one. And this was the first protest I led. And I just kind of threw something together on like Canva for Instagram. And I posted a little graphic saying, you know, we're going to do this at the bridge tomorrow. And it was in collaboration with another girl in Marin who had obtained the permit. And I just kind of saw her looking for someone from the black community to lead the protests. And she was a white ally. And I was like, I'll do it. And I kind of just showed up and it was something that I totally wasn't expecting. Um, but the outcome was amazing. There's said to be like over 50,000 people who showed up that day with like 18 hours notice. So, cause I guess it's just like really significant cause as a 17 year old at the time, I was like, ah, there's no way that I would have saw this coming that I would be able to achieve something like this. And like, it's, it, I think people think it's such a big thing. It's like, oh, how do you organize it? It's like, I didn't, I just kind of just did it and like let my heart kind of lead me to what I wanted to do. What do you hope the people that participated in that protest are doing now to stay involved with the movement? I really hope people are actively educating themselves. I think that's the biggest thing that I take away from the movement is there's a lot of work that needs to be done internally for everyone, me, myself included, um, just reading up on anti-racism books, watching movies, documentaries, like actually looking through history because it is repeating itself as we see now. And I think that's the best thing people can do is just educate themselves and continue to educate those who are willing to kind of like understand as well because it doesn't make sense to try and educate someone who has a complete opposite perspective of you and it's like kind of dead beating a dead horse I see it as so definitely putting your energy into people who are like-minded as you and like coming up with scenarios and situations to help educate other people as well as donating and continuing to keep the conversation going. Yeah and um, personally in the aftermath of the summer you started Youth Advocates for Change. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you started that and what the organization has been doing since the summer? Yeah so Youth Advocates for Change is a nonprofit I founded literally the night after I led the protest. I just people kept asking what my next plan was and in a way I feel like a lot of people who are in the activism community 
it's really stressful when people are like asking you things and like putting the attention on you. And for me, I never wanted it to be about me. It's about the movement. It's about the people. It's about the change that needs to happen and the change that we need to inspire in order to make other people want to get out there and do similar things. So I founded Youth Advocates for Change to basically inspire teenagers and just youth in general to get involved in social justice aspects social justice um, related issues that they're passionate about because there's so many things right now it's not only racial equity and racial injustice but also climate change and lgbtqia rights and women's rights and just like everyone needs to be included somehow and if everyone has all these passions we can put it together and we can really create change so ever since then i started a black scholarship fund that was the first thing i did to help raise money to send black students to college and as of right now, we've raised a little over $26,000. Um, so that's going to be going out this summer, hopefully. And we have now expanded to over 60 students in California, as well as starting chapters coming in next month. Actually, we've expanded to four other states as well. So it's, it's kind of crazy. And we've been recognized internationally in Italy, as well as Korea. And um, I mean, there's an article in the New York Times. I was also honored um, as a CNN hero for 2020 as a Young Wonder recipient. So I got to like kind of talk about Youth Advocates for Change on there too. So we've definitely gotten a lot of like huge donors and a lot of people who are in support of us so hopefully we're just gonna hit the hit it strong this year in 2021 and just keep keep it going so we can help inspire other teenagers to do the same and so you've talked in the past about your dad being active in the racial justice movement and your grandfather being a member of the black panther party so i'm curious how your family history um, has impacted your activism if at all oh amazing question so Growing up, I had no idea. I had like no sense of identity, I guess. Like I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, and over time, it was just kind of like I was the only one of the only black girls and not only that, but also being biracial because my mother is Filipino. So it was like I just grew up with this major identity crisis of not knowing who I was. And my dad works a lot. He has worked when I was younger. He like worked five jobs to keep us in the community and the house that we live in. Um, so it was really hard for me to just kind of like know who I was and once I started this whole like activism thing and like really being invested in the movement and like looking at statistics and reading things and just like educating myself on black history more and like my own history instead of like shutting it out and pretending like I'm like every single person who like goes to school with me. Um, that's kind of when I started getting involved. And after my first protest, my dad was like, I used to do the same thing when I was your age. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I was an activist. I was like, why didn't you tell me any of this? And he's like, yeah, like when um, the Rodney King movement was happening and he was in college, he led a lot of those protests. And uh, when he was going to San Jose State and then he was like, yeah, your grandfather is actually part of like the Black Panther Party. And I was like, I just can't believe I knew nothing about this. Like no one wanted to tell me. Um, so it was a weird, it was a weird thing is like he kind of like tried to shelter me from that history because I think it was so hard for him to grow up and be come out of like a place where it's not he like lived in the total opposite of me or you know people would deem it as ghetto or like you know the hood I guess but um yeah, my, come, from my dad coming out of Richmond, California, which is a lot rougher than San Ramon, where I'm from now, it's like 
the complete opposite again like I live in the suburbs and for him to work so hard to get here and him be like you know kind of just like put his old life in the past and try to like move forward to create a bigger future for us it was like he didn't feel like he was really needed to talk about the past and things that he was involved in and we kind of had like a really deep conversation about that because it was like you know you need to let people know especially your daughter who feels at this time like as a black American like we're under attack and it's a scary thing but I was like yeah like with my little sisters I would hope you have that conversation with them and what it means like they're proud of who they are and yeah, it's definitely made, just, like, activism in general has made my family way closer and, like, helped our communication and just, like, our relationship, too. Yeah, so you touched on this a little bit, but a lot of the Bay Area, including your hometown, San Ramon, is predominantly non-Black, and I think that there's a lot of people that have pointed out the hypocrisy of non-Black supporters of Black Lives Matter um, perpetuating racial divides by living in increasingly gentrified and therefore white um, neighborhoods. Do you agree with this assessment? And how do you think that non-Black supporters of BLM can do better? I wouldn't say necessarily that it's like, there's not a lot of Black people in the Bay Area. I would say that everything is pretty sectioned off. Like that's how I feel. Cause it's like, I can go to one part of example, Oakland and there's a bunch of Black people. And there's a bunch of people who look like me and I can go like stay in here in San Ramon. And there's different parts in San Ramon where it's like, there's a bigger amount of Black people than there is on like the old town San Ramon. So I think, I f- just feel like, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but like everything is very divided right now. And that's not how we need to like approach the situation. I feel like everyone needs to like just come together as one. And it sounds so like it's so much easier said than done. But I think that's like one of the big problems here. And I don't know if I like, I don't know if I'm like really answering the question. It's like, I think that is exactly like what we need to start like debriefing. Like we need to like dig into that conversation because it's like, we have a lot, I have a lot of white friends, like white allies who want to help. They want to know. It's like, I feel like by saying and like separating everyone and like dividing people, it's like making it like, like a lot of my friends have told me, like, it's hard for me to understand things that you're going through. Cause I don't want to ask and like step over your feet and like maybe say something that I don't mean, or like, I don't know. Cause I don't know. And I don't want to offend you. And I'm like, no, like ask questions. Like people are like, Oh, like, how is it like to or we were having a big conversation with like some of my black friends and my white friends they're like how is it to get your hair done like just like speaking making regular conversation like that and I think that's what's like truly missing from like the culture in America in general is just like creating conversation and making it come like being okay with being uncomfortable and asking those questions to like bridge everyone together because it's not necessarily like it's super like white and black in the Bay Area. The Bay Area is like the melting pot of America. Like this is the best place to be. There's no better place to be than like literally San Francisco. Like we have huge Asian culture. We have huge black culture. We have like huge everyone, like everyone comes together as one. And I think it, we need to like embrace that more. And like, I, I don't know, I see so much beauty in culture and just like learning about other people. Yeah, kind of as a follow-up to that, you mentioned briefly that you are half um, Filipina. How do you think that, like, bridging, like, you and yourself bridge, uh, like, a cultural, you know, a culture between, like, both of your identities? How do you think that that informs, like, your activism in general and your activism as someone who is Black? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Um, Like I said, I struggled a lot growing up just because I didn't know who I could like identify with like people are like oh what are you I'm like I'm Filipino and black like okay so like 
where are you from? I'm like, I don't know, America. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. Um, and I was always like in touch a lot more with my mom's side and like identified with my Asian side more because I was really close to my grandma who moved from the Philippines. And um, like just growing up, I know that my mom and my dad have been together since they were like 19. So like they're pretty much like my age. And it was a lot different when they were growing up and like for them to be together as like a black and Asian Pacific Islander couple. And for me to just like kind of see how my family has had to like adapt to that and like the different cultural things and like seeing how example, like going to my dad's, how my dad's family for Thanksgiving and then going right to my mom's family side, like right after Thanksgiving, like it always just felt like a divide of like, I can't act I always felt like I maybe I can't act like too whitewashed in front of my black family because they're gonna think like I'm can't relate to them and stuff like it was always just a juggling who I am and trying to figure that out and that was something that I really struggled with growing up especially in middle school like straightening my hair and feeling the pressure to like look like other girls I would wake up at like 6 30 and like straighten my hair every single day to the point where it got so short it would like just crisp off it was disgusting um but yeah like definitely that just has p- played a huge role in like why I'm so active now it's because I've tried to shut off this like part of me that I mean it's a part of me like literally like my culture or my identity um just simply because I didn't feel like I belonged or like I knew people who like looked like me in my community and I didn't have like figures to look up to that were like you know really strong black women it's like okay Michelle Obama and she's like yeah perfect everyone was like no one's perfect it's like nice to have you know like people to look up to so I I, again I always go on tangents like (laughs) I can like talk for days but I feel like that's another reason like why I'm so invested and like so passionate about it is because I know like example my little sisters like they look up to me and they like want to do similar things and they're involved in my organization at nine and four and that's like so cool to me because I wish I would have had that and I just like want to be able to share that with other people because it just feels better when you're like helping out as well. And then looking at where some of these conversations that you've talked about can take us in terms of real progress, we've heard calls for abolishing defunding and reforming police. What's your vision for the future of law enforcement and what you think that it should look like? I definitely think we need a lot of reform. Um, I try not to get too political because I'm still learning myself. Um, I obviously protest. I have a lot of friends who are like super, like from super, super radical to like not really radical and just trying to support and like make little Instagram graphics. Like I have like a very widespread of like activism friends who are in like different fields. And I've definitely taken my time to like educate myself and figure out like what do I feel is really going to make a change? But I feel like our system right now is so broken down to the point where if people are screaming defund the police, they're not going to take us seriously. But it's like, yeah, like if you really like the word defund and like, it just sounds like scary. Like it sounds like, oh God, like what are you doing? Or like abolish even better. It just like feels scary. And the problem with that is people aren't looking into the actual resources that people have made, like the website Eight to Abolition, an amazing resource explaining exactly what it is. And people are afraid because it's like, they say these things and they're not actually doing the research when they're talking about defund the police and not necessarily abolish the police, but when people are talking about reform and defunding, they're talking about putting the money into things that 
you know, can help the community, like, um, back into education, back into schools. And like, that's what I'm really, really passionate about is like education and teaching kids and, um, being able for, to people, for people to hold themselves accountable for mistakes that they've made and like being able to realize, like, I used to think this way, but because of this, and because I had this conversation or I read this book or I watched this movie, it's like, I understand that that was a wrong way of thinking. And I need to change that in order to like, really work on being anti-racist and like being inclusive to all people. And I think, again, I just, I can't help but go like on a million tangents, but um, back to what you're asking, definitely believe in reform. Definitely there's parts of um, abolition I completely believe in. And like, if anyone's listening and wants to really educate themselves, like I continue to every single day, read um, and go to the website, Eight to Abolition, um, or read um, a lot of work by Angela Davis. She does amazing work as well. And I think me being in the process of it, I'm learning a lot more and I'm also being able to like help other people learn as well. And um, it's, it's beautiful. I love, I love like learning. <laughs> yeah, um, so just last week, um, a mostly white mob incited by Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. I'm sure you saw it on the news. I think mm -hmm. everyone saw it on the news. Um, a lot of people pointed out that the police response um, was much weaker than during the Black Lives Matter protests this summer. Um, and when there was a large National Guard presence basically in everywhere in DC and a large police presence across the US. Um, what do you make of this discrepancy? It's literally, I feel like it hits different as an activist who's been there on the front lines. Like I've been to protests who where people have got tear gas. I've like notably Golden Gate Bridge protest. It was so beautiful, so peaceful. Like I've led seven protests, including Golden Gate Bridge. All of them have been peaceful, but I've attended protests that were turned violent. And I've attended protests and organized, like not necessarily just like attended, but I also organized with people who have been in like really terrible situations. I mean, there was a girl um, who came to one of my protests. I was really close friends with her or not really close friends with her, but we created a conversation and it was really like, it like made me think differently and she was like oh we should like think of planning a protest in the future all this stuff and I log on to Instagram the next week and it's like she's got arrested for um leading a peaceful protest and now she's possibly facing 15 years in prison and I was like this is insane like the fact that we can be doing something so peaceful and people are trying to just tear it down for us trying to raise awareness to something because I think protesting is great, but it's only raising awareness to a cause. It's not necessarily doing immediate change. And so for someone who really puts their heart, mind and soul, body through so much to try and like be heard and get such a negative response from law enforcement, all like always, I mean, Black Lives Matter just always had a bad rep on it all summer. And now it's like, like cops just like let them in like that's what it feels like it really just feel like they just like let them in and it's like they had no type of like it was just so easy and it's like people like black if that was black people like if all those people were black all those people were just people of color in general no one would have served they would have just like sprayed bullets like everywhere like it, they wouldn't have cared they wouldn't have spared anyone's life and it was like it was so easy for them to just let it happen and it's just so frustrating as someone who like really like cares like I really like I, I didn't go to school this year like I put my whole life on the line and like I continue to and I will continue to because I'm so passionate about it and it's like but when other people do it and just because they have 
fair skin it's like all of a sudden they there's like cops who are taking selfies with them and it's like there's West Virginia's one lawmaker like out there with them and it was just oh, I can go on for days it was just so disheartening and like disappointing but I wasn't surprised which is the worst part is like I know that this is where I live I know that this is like it's ex- expected it's not wanted I really hope that hopefully one day is going to change but I don't see it really happening anytime soon unless there's real change being made because even though we all see it as you know this awful event there's people on the other side of you the America who are like like this is amazing like yeah revolution like that is so sorry idiotic like it's so dumb to me it makes me so frustrated and it's like they truly believe that we truly believe and we know and it's like a fact that what they're doing is dumb and this whole incident where people decide to storm the capitol is like why how has this like just made the dynamic of like black lives matter versus white supremacy and like white privilege like how has it really shown through and it's like people just still don't see that there's an issue and that really just uh, bugs me it frustrates me so much and yeah like from just an activist point of view it just sucks 10 times more because it's like god it's like you're really you're really just stabbing a knife here like and twisting it a little because it's like this is what I'm passionate about and they can get away with actually rioting and getting called Trump loyalists instead of terrorists and things that they referred to us as when it's just like we're just saying our lives matter so in the lead up to the presidential election, you were vocal in your support for Joe Biden at a time when a lot of progressive activists were much more critical of him because they viewed him as too moderate. So why did you feel that it was important to emphasize your support for Biden? I feel like, especially with my platform, where I have such a mass amount, not like a mass amount, but it's like a lot of people, there's a lot of influence within just like the teenage community um I just had this like gut like I just had a bad feeling about the whole like I don't know seeing TikToks literally like literally I'm gonna vote for Kanye because it's funny like what like can you guys stop like it just like was just so irritating to me and I know obviously like a lot of people are not weren't that support what I support are not gonna like vote for Trump but it's like the fact that there were so many jokes about people like just not taking it seriously because it was such a like crazy thing it's like oh, i'm gonna vote for trump as a joke or i'm gonna vote for kanye because kanye is running for, like vice president like just like are you kidding like this is so ridiculous and i like coming from a standpoint like of um like joe biden his past kamala and her past it's like we i don't agree with everything that they have said everything that they stand for definitely not everything that has happened um just in general and just like looking at their track records but it was like a it was like you have to choose the best out of the two in the scenario and I know that there was a lot of people who were like asking me like oh like why are you supporting anyone like why are you even voting and it's like it's so important we still vote like that was really what I was trying to get across um, I did post like that I was like in support, but I was more like reposting the settle for Biden stuff because that's really how I felt is like literally like guys like we have to settle for Biden. It's the greater of less. It's what is it? The lesser of two evils. That's what I meant. And it's like at this point, we just need to move forward. I don't care about like I really didn't care about anything else. It's like we just cannot have Trump as president again. Like we need to move forward. And I wanted to express that to like on social media as well. It's just like, guys, we need to move forward and we need to stop being like this is 
even if he's not the great choice, okay, I wish Bernie was here. <laughs> That's what I, what I really wish. But because this is the given conditions and this is the scenario we're in, like, I just really wanted to publicize the fact that it's like, we need to get out there and vote. Like, what we need to do is vote. And if you don't vote, we, you can't, like, just, just vote for the lesser two evils. <laughs> That's how I just felt about the whole situation. And now that Biden will be sworn in next week, what do you hope his administration prioritizes while Democrats control Congress and the presidency? COVID. COVID is the number one. Um, as of like right in this exact instance right now, God, we're struggling so bad. It's so embarrassing to be from America right now, which is like literally the past year has been like a double pandemic here with fighting for racial equity and trying to end COVID. It's like, oh God, I just, I feel like every other country looks at us as a joke and I would too, I still do. Like I live in America and I still think we're a joke. But um, yeah, I really hope they make stricter laws about like really this quarantine. And also I hope that the new administration really drives the fact that we need to educate and we need to especially like make sure that we're doing anti-racism racism training for teachers in education um, and just making sure that diverse curriculum is getting put into, uh, I mean, diverse education is getting put into curriculum because again, I believe like it starts with the youth. Like literally my whole heart and passion is with the youth. It's with teenagers, it's with kids and it's with like being able to share stories, create conversation and make sure that it's going somewhere we're moving forward. Like we need to move forward. And I think as an activist, it's really easy to like try to take those big jump steps and be like, you know, example, some people are like, Biden sucks and Kamala sucks, Trump sucks, everyone sucks, I hate it. Like it needs to just reform everything, the whole entire, like it's not gonna happen like that. And as much as I wish I could just like sit here and be like, I wanna restart everything, that's not how it's gonna happen. I have to like, bring myself back every single time. So I think in all what we need the most is just like unification. And I don't think like, I really like, if there's one thing I can say is like, I don't think that it's gonna come in the next four years in this presidency. I don't think there's gonna be a huge, like we're gonna see the change that we want because it's not gonna come overnight. It's not gonna come in one president. It's gonna take multiple big, great leaders ahead of this time period to recover from the damage that the past four years has gave us. So um, yeah, that's kind of just like my my whole view on the whole situation and just kind of hoping that it gets better from here. Yeah, talking about moving forward, what do you and Youth Advocates for Change specifically hope to achieve this year and maybe the year after? What's the, what's the vision moving forward? Um, definitely expanding. I would love to make the scholarship fund a annual thing. Um, and especially with the people that I have, like, in Youth Advocates for Change, we start at age, we are, our youngest person is eight, and our oldest person is 25. So it's like, we have grown to be a really large range of people. Um, and it's really cool, because it's like, I get to see people from not only like, in California, but it's like different states and like talk to people from all over. And we even have like interest in Australia. So hopefully just continuing to expand and like create change. We have like different committees. So example, like community outreach team, they go out and they find people in the community that need help or they find what is 
the demand in the community? Like, what is it that we need right here in San Ramon? Is it making sure that our schools are getting diverse curriculum? Is it just creating conversation? Is it hosting open mics so people feel like their voices are, you know, being amplified? Like, what is it that the community needs and how can we get it to them? And how can we um, just help other people and help ourselves too? And just like, I don't know, I'm passionate about so many things. Like I said, like mental health too. It's like so many, so many different things. I just want to be able to offer resources to teenagers. And that's really why, and, and youth in general, but that's really why I created it was because I know that my voice has been torn down so many times and really our, I mean, our mission statement is to like amplify youth voices through intersectional social justice. So it's like very broad spectrum, but it's still specific enough to just know, like we can create change through like within ourselves through helping other people and like doing donation drives and making care packages and like all that great stuff. Plus it's really fun and um, feels good. So definitely more feel good activities and just finding ways to um, get other people involved. So that's what I see for myself um, and for our organization in the next years. And we also saw that you're working on a podcast called Teach Our Stories about the importance of diversity in school curriculums. What led you to choose that as the topic for your podcast? Um, I think my biggest thing growing up was the fact that I didn't have diverse education growing, like, especially in this neighborhood where it's like I was one of the only Black students. And like, I know that my biggest turning point was when we read To Kill a Mockingbird and my white teacher was throwing the N-word all over the place. And I feel like because of that, it was such a common thing for people to be using the N-word on campus. And it was so uncomfortable for me, but I never said anything because it was like, it's everyone says it. And it was, it's sad that, you know, black students have to be like, okay, well, everyone says it. So it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, it is a big deal. If it hurts you, it hurts you. Like it's valid. And um, I just want to be like, for after having that that situation I started thinking back at like not only has that happened but there's been so many wrong things that have happened in my education and that I've let slip away and just like teachers and like admin being racist and like um or not even just being racist but just like being like more focused in on what I'm doing or what other black students are doing and I know that's so common because I talk to people every single day like and it's a common thing and it's like we get treated differently in schools even and there's so many teachers who want to help but they don't hear our stories and that's really what I want is just to create conversation amplify youth voices and like I talk so much I get to do these amazing podcast interviews and I get to talk to amazing people every single day but it's not about me it's about everyone coming together and helping and you know being support of each other so I really wanted to create this it's like instead of me talking all the time I can pass the mic to you because that's what activism is about it's about passing the mic and being able to share different stories and hear different experiences and like be accepting of other people and just being open to kind of like learning and taking it in so that's that's where it came from and I know that teachers are passionate about what they do and they just need to actually hear like what students um, are wanting to talk about because I feel like we're just like scared that we're going to get turned down because we're so invalidated by adults but it's time we speak up and it's time we you know just get it done so that's that's where the idea came from I guess. Yeah and wrapping up what advice would you give to other young people who are interested in continuing their involvement in Black Lives Matter or getting newly involved in Black Lives Matter? Be true and authentic to 
yourself to the cause and make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right kind of energy performative activism is so common <laughs> like that is one thing like it is so common you see people who post when something happens and that's the only time they post it's not about social media like that's something I struggle with myself too is like oh I'm not posting enough people are gonna think I'm performative it's not about the posting it's not about how many protests you go to I'm not even going to protest anymore because I'm so like worried about COVID and like it's really not doing anything besides raising awareness protests are great don't get me wrong okay I've done so many protests but there's real work that needs to be done and you need to close the doors sometimes and really sit down with yourself and be like what can I do and to take the next step and it's like it can be something small but you have to focus on it and you really have to attack it and like realize it's not going to take it's not going to happen overnight like I keep using the education thing as an example but it's like I really want us to switch out a lot of those like books that we read in literature with like black authors and it's not going to be something that I can go protest about like great that's for that's really great for you know raising awareness to it but I need to go out there and I need to write the emails and I need to make the podcast and I need to like share the stories and I need to talk to the people and it doesn't all happen on social media so anyone who's wanting to get involved it's kind of like pick what you are most passionate about and start working on it. Like if you're passionate about Black Lives Matter, what about it are you passionate about? Because it's great that you support it, but it's like, it should be the bare minimal that you support it. It's not enough at this point. And I just keep seeing like more performative like initiatives all over social media. And just like, sometimes it's like really just not enough, especially like being in this position where it's like, I am a black person in America right now and I have to go through everything. It's like seeing the performative stuff really does not, like it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't do anything for anyone. And it's just like, there's more things, like if you're really passionate about it, there's things you can do, you know? So I feel like just staying true to that and just like creating conversation and be able to like admit when you don't know and being open to learning like I don't know everything and I'm still open to learning if something if someone corrects me and they're like oh no like that's not true that's not what happened I'm like okay like tell me what happened and you like be open to like being corrected because I think that's something that a lot of people face in the activism community and it gets hard but you, know, you don't have to lead a protest to be an activist I mean just really have it in your heart Thanks for listening to the Paper Tiger podcast. To learn more about Tiana Day and Youth Advocates for Change, visit their website at youthadvocatesforchange.org. Make sure to tune in to our next episode. For more content, visit our website, lwhspapertiger.org, and follow LW Paper Tiger on Instagram. See you next time.